0: Good afternoon and welcome to this special pre-recorded show for International Women's Day. For the next 55 minutes or so, you're joined by me, Ruth O'Reilly. Delighted to be keeping you company. Coming up on today's show, I'm in conversation with the fantastic public speaker and author, Karen Honor. Karen doesn't shy away from writing about menopause, mental health, midlife crisis, and much more. And I've chatted to her today about her debut novel, Unraveling, which highlights the different stages of womanhood. We've also been talking about what it's like to make powerful connections online. And that interview is coming up for you right now. We've also got some poetry and a little extracts from Unraveling, as well as a powerful poem that the fantastic Manchester based poet Jamie Barclay has written, especially for us. So you're in for a treat, dear listener. Enjoy. Hi, Karen. Welcome to All FM. Thanks for joining us on this special show for International Women's Day. It's great to be here, thanks. Oh, thanks. It's great to have you back on. We first spoke, actually, during National um, Novel Writing Month when you were just putting the finishing touches to your new book, Unraveling. And um, with all the three main characters being women at different stages of womanhood, I thought that it would be great to bring you back and uh, have a chatter about it. But but I also thought that you would make the perfect International Women's Day guest because of um, you became a, a bit of an ambassador for women going through changes um, in that pre-menopausal stage, didn't you? Um.
1: Yeah. Well, I suppose. Um. I kind of. I started off. By writing um, a memoir-style book called *Finding My Way*, which was just initially just me putting my thoughts out there, that then turned into a book, Mm. Um, and that was kind of like where just reflecting where I was um, in in life. So, kind of the themes running through it uh, are midlife, menopause, motherhood, and sort of mental health as well plays a big part in it, (laughs) um, because I think. That's the bit that people don't really associate um, with perimenopausal, premenopausal um, women. And then when you're in it, you think, that's uh, are you the only one in the world that's having these thoughts and, and in that situation? So I think writing that has kind of then led on to lots of other things. So I think when we spoke before, we talked about my poetry book that I published last year. Here, yeah, um, and that's that's very much because it's called like Diary of a Dizzy Perry, as in somebody who's perimenopausal.
0: Sure. Um. <laughs> what's well, a good <laughs> so way I of thought... expressing your your thoughts on the subject, though, through poetry? I don't think anyone's ever done that before.
1: Um, I, I don't know what what else is out there, but certainly it's it's kind of just led to conversations, and I I think that's the thing that I found with all of my writing is that. I like to say i use it to start a conversation so whether it's about menopause or mental health or just being kind to each other or whatever it might be i think the theme running through a lot of it is start talking and making those connections and i found that one thing has kind of led to another and um certainly the feedback i've had from the poetry book has been very positive about people sort of recognizing themselves within it Mm. or or if if they're not at that stage, or they're living maybe with somebody who is
0: at that stage. Yeah, well, that's a, a whole <laughs> other area, isn't it? Really. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, brings me me back to like what you you were saying there about feeling that you were the only one, um, that was going through these symptoms and these feelings. And and obviously that's come about because these topics, menopause and midlife and mental health, are all rolled into one. They're so kind of hidden still even in this day and age and that's why you, you've ended up having that feeling of are you the only one going through it so it's really good the way you are bringing up this conversation
1: yeah I mean I think there's obviously since I've been in that position I've come across others in the clan shall we say yeah so, and there's quite a few people on social media and you do see um, different things on, on television as well lately where different celebrities have been brave enough to kind of say Yes, that's what I've I've discovered I'm going through and you're you know, these are things that should be talked about. Whereas I think to be a a woman and be um Celebrity and in the public eye, you I would imagine that's a very vulnerable position because you feel that you know in our society you're only really valued when you're young and hip and you know mm. you, you've got youth on your side. So to start making waves, and when they're feeling they want to hang on to their position in whatever their job is, yes. well, I think it's really good that people are kind of saying, well, well no, you know, we still have all this to offer, um, but. We should be talking about the things that women of a certain age are finding difficult and that's that's not out of the ordinary you know people have suffered in silence um in the past or not even realized that that was something that they should be concerned about so i do think the tide has turned um so i'm not the only one waving a flag for it but um it's it's good if there's a little bit i can do with a bit of writing that maybe just starts a conversation or a thought um and that's you know i find that that's really positive when i hear feedback in that regard
0: definitely i mean even mental health just general mental health whether you're a man or a woman for, for yeah. everyone even that only just really finding its way into the, the mainstream you could say in the past four or five years we didn't really have this language where we were saying oh i need to protect my mental health um about five years ago it's only just emerging I would say and now especially more with, with lockdown and stuff so so it is it does still feel quite new in in some respects really um yeah and obviously I think it's being brought more and more sharply
1: into focus with the circumstances that everybody finds themselves in right now but sure. um yeah um and at least people are, are sort of just you know they're using the vocabulary that that's the starting point isn't
0: it definitely is definitely now obviously as you were saying through your work in um opening up this conversation you, you've actually found that that you've been I- invited to to speak at different uh events and, and with different groups of people and, and i loved this uh title that that you said that you um coined for yourself which was menavist
1: yeah, well, I've kind of picked that up from elsewhere. I've seen that there's a sort of I a mean, movement of women that call themselves that and I just thought that really sort of sums it up, really, that if, if there's something that you can do within your skill set that just, um, well, as I say, just puts, highlights that issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, I mean, in the summer, I did um, a Zoom author chat with a local WI group. and a lot of talk around that was based on my first book so there was talk about menopause and there was talk about a lot of i think there's a lot of commonality in people feeling imposter syndrome when they get to sort of midlife they they doubt themselves and and things that they took in their stride that they're now Mm. questioning can i can i even do that and do do i have the right to call myself that and capable of whatever it might be so and that's all linked to what's going on um, physically. Um, so, you know, I mean, I think that the writing has been the process of writing and the process of being honest enough to put those things on paper. I think that's what has led to people saying, oh, that's an interesting story. Would you come and lead to talk about that? So I I spoke to WI in the previous year, just after my book came out, I went into um paramount offices in london and spoke there to a group of women that um it's kind of they have i think it's called here um it's a a group based for 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 the um, women in the office and they'll have different speakers in and about all kinds of topics but it's a place where um when they did meet that you know it was what they needed to share with each other um and so that was a really interesting day to go in and talk about you know these are quite high-flying capable business women but actually what did they understand about what menopause was what did they feel maybe is missing in their work environment what would they like their colleagues to understand about that situation so Mm -hmm. it was just a um It was just an sort of inspiring day from my point of view to go and be in a different world and be part of that for the day. And for them to sort of ask questions about, well, what made you write it and how did you come to, you know, share that and that kind of thing. So, yeah, that was really good. Back in the days so we could go and be in person in the office. Oh, the good old days.
0: It's like the olden days now, in, in a way. But it is really good to to highlight all these um, aspects about how do women feel as they're going through these symptoms in the workplace. You know, they're they're trying to put on this uh, this show, have this certain way of being, and then they're still maybe coping with symptoms of depression, or it may be heart flushes or something else. So it is good to and, get and that awareness. Just just those
1: days as well when you have complete brain fog and that's probably not the, the best day to be starting a major project and yes. if if you're feeling comfortable but I mean I think there are quite a lot of places that have been quite forward thinking and there is a drive to have a, a menopause um, sort of policy in workplaces and if there's been training that you know, if you feel comfortable that you can kind of say, "I'll do that tomorrow, but don't <laughs>
0: ask me about it." Yeah, that's very <laughs> helpful, very useful. Because I worked in um, in. Um... Um, a very male dominated sales environment and, and I suffer from, from a PCOS but um, I never mm. felt that I could speak about my symptoms because other people that were going through um, various issues that you know they came in late or they didn't come in and then that you know the bosses would say oh and, and don't like don't pull that excuse about period problems or whatever because well, we're having none of it you know it was very much like yeah, that and that was yeah. only about two years ago
1: yeah it was a long journey to, to be had in that regard as and i suppose it does depend on on where you're at and um obviously the Mm -hmm. whole balance of you know who makes up the workforce um but you can only just as i say start a
0: conversation really definitely (laughs) definitely and obviously the, the whole thing about being a woman at certain stages of life, you do end up getting that feeling like, I am I gonna get past my sell by dates <laughs> kind of thing. You know, so you only got this, this shelf life and then, oh, it's all um it's all gonna be downhill from from now on. Which um I kind of got that feeling as I was reading that, um Second chapter there of, of your new book, um, Unraveling. When we had um, one of the lead characters there, Doris, kind of looking back on on her life, and she was hearing the, these comments that were being made about her. It's, it's almost as if she was feeling in the, mm. the you know the old crone, the old bag stage, and then thinking back to when she was a young fair maiden and in this carefree um, life in in the old days. So, do you want to tell us a little bit about your new book? Because it's it's called Unraveling. It's the the tale of strength love and, and dementia how did that come about for you um
1: well it's kind of the culmination of about a year's worth of writing which was against the backdrop of the year being 2020 okay. it was something positive to channel my energies into writing um and i i think when I left teaching a few years ago um and decided to really focus on my writing, I always had in mind that I wanted to write a story um a novel, but it felt like such a huge task to be able to do so mm. I've, I've I've wrestled with that myself as to like oh no that's that's too big i can't, I can't do that um and and actually it was my daughter that kind of said "Well, what's stopping you writing it and I went and I sort of come up with excuses and she said well just get on and write it doesn't matter if it doesn't actually turn out to be anything
0: just sit down and stop mm. That's um, really good that you had that encouragement for your daughter from your daughter because because last year was it, that was like your first year of getting into the, the writing world wasn't it or was finding my way in 2019 yeah, um, Founding My Way was the year before, but
1: then it was sort of like, I've done that and that's why I've written my book and then there was this hiatus of like, what, what do I do now? Mm, yeah. <laughs> um. So, yeah, so in the end, I mean, basically the the whole story started from a writing exercise on a course I was doing at the time, a creative writing course. And there was an object and you had to pick an object in the room and uh just write for 10 minutes free writing exercise okay and there was a um a bus ticket like a trolley bus ticket in a cabinet in the room and i just wrote something about this and i was just thinking at the time i wonder why that one's been kept when all the others would be you know mostly it's something you just throw away after your journey why would some why would somebody keep a ticket what's like special about Mm. it and then I was thinking, I wonder how many people have had journeys, who what lives could have, could have the ticket or the or the bus tell? you know that, that mm. kind of thing in your head um, and then it was a few weeks after that that I just started imagining this character that may have been the person who had the ticket, so in the story, that is Doris, and there's a reason why she has the bus ticket, and it's because of the journey home she had that evening when she'd met her husband to be at a dance and he'd escorted her home on the bus and she'd kept the ticket. Um, um and then then the whole sort of it was going round and round my head, but it was just there as a character and so I then after sort thinking about it for several months actually um then my daughter kind of said "Well, just get on and write what happens to her what okay well i don't really know (laughs) but i'll just try and
0: write did you always have it in 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 your mind then that um if you were to write a a novel that you wanted it to have like a a focus on these strong women or did that just kind of Um, find its way into your your work very like a process of osmosis maybe I
1: think, I mean, they say that you write what you know. So obviously, I feel more comfortable writing about women just from being yeah, women. so that makes
0: sense. Yeah, <laughs> I always feel I a bit cringy when you've got these um, men writing as if they're a young girl or something. I mean, sometimes maybe it works, but it does. It, yeah, I get what you mean.
1: Um, so I suppose maybe that was um, partly it, um, and just as i started to write i imagined that this character was towards the end of her life but looking back and remembering all the things that had happened to her Um, and so as the story developed it's really a story about all those little moments that people have to face and then sometimes they've got to be overcome or something's quite difficult and you have to get through it and the strength that kind of people find that they don't think that they would if you kind of put a situation to them you know how would you cope
0: with you'd think oh i wouldn't be able to manage that Mm. but but people do find a way through yeah um and so the things about getting older isn't it that's one of the best things about getting older even if it's just in five years from now or whatever and you see how much you've accomplished
1: yeah i mean i kind of um one of the things, when I when I talk about
0: like menopause and midlife, and I
1: think people think it's all awful. And I've, I've kind of come to this understanding that there's this sort of paradox that there's times when I feel I've completely lost all my confidence and I doubt myself and I talk about like imposter syndrome. And then there's other times when I just think, do you know what? Life's too short and too bad if I don't behave the way that somebody else expects me to, to do it. I'm mm. just... You don't need to. You don't need to tell me how to style and fix my hair. You don't need to tut or shrug about what I choose to wear. You don't need to limit me in what I choose to do. You don't need to hold me back from trying something new. You don't need to pigeonhole my skills in any way. You don't need to talk for me as if I have nothing to say. You don't need to write me off or say I'm getting old. You don't need to like it as you watch me break the mould.
0: It's you do young, it anyway, isn't it? Yeah, when you're young,
1: you kind of, you overthink things um, and you haven't got the experience behind you maybe to kind of think, well, just just have a try and, and do it. So I think there's a, there's, there's, it's a real sort of paradox. Some days I'm like, I can't do anything. I don't know why I even started this. Yeah. And then other days i would be. Do you know what I'm just gonna go
0: for it <laughs> yeah exactly
1: so I, yeah yeah I, I think maybe that that helps once I've started writing the story and then I I had a shape for who she was and where she came from then I think lots of other things fell into place there are bits of me in the story or bits of family members like things that I remember from a child or being told that helped to shape the story and i did quite a bit of research talking to um some some, like my mum and friends of hers about well what was it like when you were growing up in the 50s and 60s
2: um
1: so as well as like obvious you know research everybody else does and go online and look up things and read stuff um I, I did kind of get some they very kindly wrote down their thoughts about things that they could remember like what records they might have bought and what games they played in the street and oh, things yeah. like that that kind of i didn't just then write down exactly what they they'd said yeah just kind the of book, it but own. it's kind of it i wanted it to feel authentic sure. and that somebody who'd lived those times would recognize Mm -hmm. bits of that as being part of their story so there are things that i would say are a reflection of aspects of my extended family and people that i know that have talked about growing up and stuff that happened to them but obviously the character is a complete fabrication she's not a real person um but all of those life events that happened to her are real things that are going on all the time and I I, I like to think of it as being like it's it's the ordinary things that take sometimes take a sort of extraordinary courage to to get through and to keep moving forward with.
0: Well, definitely, because we, we, we're all kind of like stuck in this tightrope of we're too young to do something, then all of a sudden we're too old to, yeah. <laughs> to do, and it's like, well, when are we going to actually do this thing? And um, That kind of happens a lot, so it, it, you're right there about the little things. And what I like as well about Unraveling is because you've put it all within this kind of framework of dealing with the... Um, the disease of, of dementia it means that every memory is actually it means that much more really mm. and I, I, I kind of I, I wanted to set it
1: up that we were in the present in some parts of the book and then it jumps back to telling her life story so it, it's split into like a section will be present day and then a, the next section will be part of her past but the two things are coming together because the main relationship through it is doris with her granddaughter lucy Mm. and so the present is very much being told from lucy's point of view who is about 18 19 at Mm. the time that the story starts and her it tells how she's accepting that she's moving from child to adult or teenager to adult and having to accept adult responsibilities and things in life that aren't just taken care of for you by your parents and and obviously dealing with the real um, difficult thing of you know she's losing her grandmother over time Um, and but she wants to find out about her grandmother's life and so there's that sort of opportunity for the dialogue between the two of them and things that she finds out and that she records because she's an artist and she kind of creates this um sketchbook really yeah Uh, by uh, by the end of the story she's put her grandmother's life story together in the form of a piece of uh, like an art project and so I, i think it that allows for the juxtaposition between youth and and elderly and what's what's missing um in all of it is not really being highlighted outright but it's there in in as much as like she you know doris is remembering things of when she could do all of these aspects of life um yeah in a carefree way mm-hmm. and now she can't but i'm not i didn't want to labor on the um it's just excuse me, i didn't want to kind of make it all about dementia sure i am i didn't want to belittle that either but i think by focusing on the the life that the person had i think that was what was important to me that yes i wanted to kind of te- highlight really i suppose i mean there's a Bit at the front of the book where I just talk about some of the facts and figures of dementia in, in the UK at the moment yes. and how many people it affects and all of that. But to give it the context of that—that that in itself is awful. But I think it's important to remember the people that are sort of beneath the dementia, and it's important to tell their story. And they—they're they're all real people, and and I—I I think that's felt much more important to me in the current context where there's you know often people are just saying about like the death figures and things or, well, they were elderly and it's almost like well they didn't matter yes um,
0: that's why when you when you do kind of portray that the, the memories and the stories it, it brings it to life it makes you more empathetic with the character and you've got this this beautiful use of of language where you are kind of incorporating the memories that Doris is having with um seasons and periods of time in in nature and it's like this this little thing where um all of a sudden she at the beginning of the book we we find doris just um settling into life in in the care home and there's that kind of sense that she still kind of understands what's going on in terms of Mm. she's feeling kind of trapped although she can't really express it all but then you you bring us down this this journey of the memory that she's having from when she was really young and um there was a wasp trapped in, in, in a bottle and now it's like as if yes. there's almost this contrast of she feels a little bit like that wasp and if only someone could just let her free into the golden meadow kind of thing I thought that was quite beautiful kind of um, quite a powerful image isn't yes. it I, I think particularly the bit there's
1: the line about the wasp sliding down the inside of the bottle and she tips the bottle over to let the wasp fly off yes um, and I, I yeah I mean it, it is that sort of image really of like almost I think with dementia and a lot of those um, diseases like Parkinson's and that kind of thing. uh, There is that feeling as almost like the person's behind a piece of glass, they're still there but they can't quite get through. Mm. Um, So I I think that that sort of comes to play a little bit with with that imagery really.
0: Yeah, yeah. And then there's the, the cherry blossoms, the way they kind of b- blow away. And that's kind of like another analogy, isn't it, for, for youthfulness and life and thoughts mm. and, and all kind of stuff. And using these powerful images, I think they work far more effectively than, than sometimes talking about all the, the, the suffering um, in words. Yes, yeah. yeah.
1: Well, I, I've always thought of myself as a kind of visual writer. But I think I'm probably primarily um, a poet. And mm. then the, I can't help myself, but for that, the, the sort of the main themes of poetry and that they seep
0: into everything else. <laughs> right. Well, it's so. a great starting point. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I'm glad that your daughter kind of encouraged you to, to expand. So it was, was it her that said, well, why don't you write some more prose instead of sticking to, to poetry? Or was it just kind of you, you thought that that's what you wanted to explore next?
1: I have want, always wanted to write a story. Some. I've kind of had this thing of like, all through my teaching career, I've, I've, I've written scripts. I've written poems, and, um, and yeah. I've always had this thing of like, oh, you know, if I, if I win the lottery, I'd go off and sit by the sea, and I'll write books and stories oh, and yeah. all that kind of thing. Um, but when it came down to it, although I, I, you know, I felt. Really pleased and proud of myself in in writing my first book, my memoir, and then managing in the whole overwhelmingness of the first lockdown to actually channel in myself into writing and, and produce a poetry book, although those were big achievements i just had this uh, it's just a sort of personal hang-up i suppose and i thought on a novel that's huge how many words do you need to write and how do you make everything tie together and Mm. how do you know when you start on this page where you're going to go next and all all of those yeah it's really
0: daunting isn't it yeah so i think i just thought well i
1: just see what happens and um i wouldn't say the whole thing was was just written as a wall this this is coming to my mind next so I'll write that down and then I'll just see if, what, if something happens in the next few days that I imagine the next part of it. it wasn't completely off the cuff like that yeah. but I think I started that way and then I had to kind of think well actually now I kind of know who this character is, who would she interact with and does that work if, if this happens first or does that need to happen later? So it was, it ended up being partly planned and Partly just write what well, spills out of my
2: sure. head at the time, yeah.
1: <laughs> and then obviously when you get to the end of the process and you think yes, I've it, then the real joy comes of editing it and reading it back and going well that bit doesn't work at all because that makes complete nonsense
0: or something else. <laughs> okay, so. <laughs> yeah, I get what you mean, yeah. But in your case, it it wasn't your um your your mom or your grandma that suffered with dementia, was it? Was well, actually your your dad?
1: Yes, yeah, we we lost my dad in 2012 um, mm. and that was following he'd had a stroke and then several years of vascular dementia. Wow.
2: Um,
1: So there are things that came out, um, like the chapter in question um, and it describes a little bit of the home when she's walking from her bedroom down to the garden room and it talks about the pictures on the wall and the way that it was obviously an old home that somebody lived in as you know a sort of a a well-to-do family that's then obviously been bought and turned into a nursing home and how was it green Meadows or something yeah yeah and how it how it gets kind of you know what was a beautiful room has been now chopped up into three rooms and those those sorts of yeah there, there were bits about that that i was very much imagining the home that he ended up in and i couldn't get away from that i was drawing upon that experience so although i mean there'd be there's things in you know, there there were things i imagined for the story benefit but it was useful to have that almost like a concrete research pool um, yes. to draw upon so as I could there's a part I write about uh, the granddaughter goes to visit and Doris has not been very good that day and she's she's still in her room and the nurse sort of calls the granddaughter aside and takes her into the office and talks about how things are progressing and so I was imagining when I was writing that about different rooms in the home and different times we'd gone and you know if he was having a good day or a bad day and you know those kinds of things so obviously that's a backdrop of a person hasn't been in the position of having to cope with um, a relative with a disease mm. you wouldn't know that firsthand and I think it's important if you're if you're writing some, about something that's obviously a difficult topic you, you've got to have either a lot of research that you've done or maybe something that's happened to you personally that you can draw upon to Feed into it,
0: really. Sure, but but obviously it's it's a good way of helping you to process some of your experiences during that time and get the kind of therapeutic factor of of writing that down, but weaving it into a story so it's not too close to to home. Mm. So that's quite interesting as well. And I love the, um, I love the whole relationship there between Doris and, and her granddaughter because it's, it's this feeling of that even though she, she doesn't have the complete lucidity of knowing who Lucy is, she, she knows enough about the feeling that she is looking forward to this nice girl um, coming to spend time with her. And I, th- I thought that was nicely done as well
1: yeah i mean i I think because it starts off at that point and obviously as the story goes on doris is has less and less control over what she's remembering and what's going on around her um but i wanted there to be that that sort of it's like words fall out of their mind first so the fact that she she can't remember what the vegetables are called that she's just had for a dinner Mm -hmm. and she can't remember the name of this girl but she knows that this girl comes so um and obviously when when you read read on and and they they meet she's 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 got enough about her still at that point that she knows that that is a person that's significant to her um and that the bond is very strong between them and that Lucy has obviously had to grow up in that circumstance. And, and she's I think it it's sort of a hope it comes across of how how well she does cope with the fact that she's turning up and her grand doesn't doesn't actually say her name and can't remember. And sometimes mistakes her for her sister and that kind of thing. You know, for Dorothy's sister, not Lucy's sister. Yes.
0: <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah but but then that's just it's also kind of the, the reflection of how in a sense um that doris is going way back in, in into her youth to try and find a, a way of escaping the, the the elderly part of her life though and so mm. it's that that's um a, a really good kind of contrast and i think as well um during the, the beginning of the, the book We've got this whole issue of the fact that that lucy has got to go into her grand's house and and help with the clearance of everything because she has to come to the she has to come to the um the understanding now that that the house has to be sold and we've got to be grown up about it and um, yes yeah yeah
1: and I, I think at that point she feels that she's got this relationship with her gran and maybe other people in the family um just there to see what good items they can find in the house and you know why don't they feel the same about gran etc but i think as you read on in the story you kind of get a bit more of an understanding of it isn't that way but people deal with things in a different way so um you know you get to know one of her brothers um more and you and the relationship between lucy and her father who is doris's son Mm that that develops as as the story goes on and you you kind of come to work out that obviously he wasn't dealing very well with what was happening to his mum um and so it to lucy it looked like he didn't care and he didn't interact with it but actually by the end of the story that's resolved in and that they're in a better place as a father-daughter relationship than the start of the story so this is sort of lots of levels of things
0: that yeah, that's are, that are going on yeah it's, <laughs> it's fun to explore those different family dynamics as well and obviously when, when we're kind of at, when you're at the age of say lucy's father it's like oh we just need to be grown up and get this this sorted and then you've got lucy that's uh, midway between uh, adulthood of the, the teenage and and she's got that kind of sense of the the time and the pacing to slow down and get to 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 still connect with who her gran is as a human being rather than Mm. another issue to be dealt with Mm, mm. yeah and and I, i suppose the other
1: like the the third wheel if you like is the um is doris's sister lillian who's um she's very much a feature through the book that that comes and goes so um yeah without trying you know have too many spoilers yeah oh yeah we have like got
0: to be careful of that as well Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah her her sister is is a central part of doris's life and then she's not there um for a great section of her life so there's there is a why why is that and what's going on there and um and i think that's why she's also going back to her youth when her sister was there and, and the two of them were sort of Fighting the world together and sure. everything that came their way that was difficult they would be together to to find a way around it and um so it, it, it's about relationships really and um i think although putting dementia as a subtitle in it people may be put off and thinking oh, i don't want to read about that if, if they've had a personal experience i think the main part of the story is about the relationship between family to family members and the support that you get from each other and how when things are really awful somehow you find the strength to deal with it really
0: Mm. which obviously is is a big theme of of lockdown and and all the rest of it as well really just the you know how how do you still maintain your your relationships with with family so it's good to revisit that topic really and obviously if someone is going through just finding out just a a dementia diagnosis or something it it's making it's highlighting the facts that you know the a relative could have dementia but that they are still um human being they, you know you cannot be sure of what their their memories are and and still do your best to connect with them mm. Mm. it's interesting because
1: i I know um a lady who who have come to come to know over Twitter over the last year mm. um, and she um she spoke to me because she's read the book and she said she i think she found it reassuring because her mum I think was diagnosed last summer with Mm -hmm. dementia and so she said she found it reassuring to read somebody who's obviously dealt with the whole process um, and then to sort of I think you know I don't go overboard on it but you can tell there are symptoms that are described as has the disease takes more of a hold of Doris there are Mm -hmm. things that that, um, I, I put into the story that you know the reader reader joins up the dots but it's there um but i i felt comforted by the fact that she read it and found it found it um you know a reassuring read and that she really liked the imagery of it and all the rest of it i didn't want somebody who's going through it at that point to kind of go oh I, I couldn't get to the end of it or something like that Do you yes. know what I mean I, I yeah. want it to be a factor that that put somebody off really but yeah
0: well that's a fantastic <laughs> yeah it's an absolute fantastic bit of feedback really and that's exactly what I was thinking uh, about the book that, that it's it's a nice um gentle introduction into the subject I think you know that they say that these conditions are on the increase it, it's good for us all to be aware of it whether we have got a family member that's been diagnosed or, or not and, and your way of presenting everything as I've said with the imagery um, it does put it all into a completely different context and perspective to, to what most people think of when they just hear dementia or, or something like that which is something that you did again with the, the whole menopause and perimenopause Menopausal uh, topic mm. as well with the with the poetry and stuff. It's like when when you had those cocktails, the the hot flush, <laughs> was it? And I was like, well oh, that's that's so funny. That's um, you know, who, who would think of that? Yeah, <laughs> i just got a weird brain. <laughs> <laughs> but 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 no, it's it's really good. I think storytelling is so powerful when you can use our our creativity to deal with these um powerful topics which kind of you know they, they come to us all in the end you know you've got that stage where you think oh that, that's so far away that'll never be me but it is it is good to to be aware of them so you do create awareness in a wonderful way I would say but this book has um your <laughs> debut novel has come out into the world is it making you want to write more novels or go back to well, your poetry or Actually, you talked to me on on a a really um, exciting day because
1: I've actually just um, published a a little booklet of thoughts and poems that have all come out of the last year. And that's available. It's gone today live on Amazon to be available to pre-order. Oh, wow.
0: When is it officially? I think it's the the
1: 12th of March. Uh, It's called Click and Connect. Oh, that's a good um, name. That's, a, that's another good title. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it, I kind of call it a little collection of hope. So I, I I think I was struck by the way that, I mean, I talk about connections through all of my writing, but I think we've lost connections that we're used to. And yeah. we've had to find different ways of connecting with people. Mm. And a lot of it is very, it's through a screen um or well yeah whether it's a phone screen or doing zoom calls or whatever it might be and we have this whole other other language you know things there's there's a poem in there called bubbles where i talk about what bubbles used to mean and now what that word conveys
0: and i'm always thinking of that yeah oh i just wish it meant blowing a bubble from yeah or champagne bubbles or something yeah
1: so it it sort of started the lady that I mentioned earlier that um, said about her mum having a diagnosis for, of dementia. Um, I've, I've come across her on Twitter. She she is she has this project that she's doing which is called the Community Harmony Scarf, and okay. she is basically um, it started a few years ago, and um, she is doing a lot of work on mental health. And the, each ribbon that she that she knits into her scarf is part of telling. It might be somebody's chosen the ribbon who she's met, a story that she's heard, an an event that's happened. um, And this scarf is growing and growing. And there's an idea that um, at some point it will be big enough to wrap around the football stadium where she lives. And it's been a project that's been going on for a while. And I've become aware of her work, particularly I think because there's things that we've had in common about there's been menopause and mental health things we've both tweeted about etc etc sure and so um over time i've joined her she runs a it's called monday morning smile that she does on a uh through zoom mm. and it's she's been doing it through the lockdowns and i've joined that group and got to know this whole other group of people and i said to her a while ago has anybody ever written your story about the scarf because it intrigued me that it's all about you know, if these ribbons could talk, what stories would they tell? I suppose oh, well, it like I did with the ticket, isn't yeah. it? Um and so she said well, what she I think she's had a little feature in some magazines and things. So I've written just this little short story um about Claire and her scarf and a little girl asking her about the scarf and Whatever,
0: it's women again. Yeah, well, that's good. Maybe this is your niche. This is what you're going to be known for, telling powerful stories of of female empowerment, yeah.
1: Unraveling. Chapter 2, Green Meadows. Cantankerous and draining. Those were the words she heard them using nowadays. In her prime... There would have been terms of warmth, praising her looks and sociable nature, how her eyes twinkled as she tossed back her head to laugh in a crowded room, knowing full well that she had the attention of everyone there. Now there was little of that paid to Doris, and although it may seem that she cannot follow the thread of what is going on around her, she still hears the whispers and exasperations." When Doris calls for help for the eighth time that day, she hears the muttering under the breath and another part of her slowly dims. All this stuff of the nursing home, these silly rules and routines, they make no sense to her. A phrase floats into her head. When I grow up, I'm going to break the rules and be free. Doris closes her eyes and allows the phrase to carry her back to a warm summer and a grassy riverbank. There is a persistent wasp now caught within a glass bottle as punishment for its interest in the picnic, the consequence of curiosity. Beyond the confines of the glass prison, all is open and free, and Doris remembers the blue sky moment. It was a day when she played that childhood game with her sister Lillian taking turns to make cloud dragons and islands, fantastical shifting creatures and faraway places, free of limits, as imagination has no rules to follow. There was nothing particular at the time to mark the scene as a memory to treasure, but doesn't life just have a habit of doing that? Doris sat up, taking a break from the cloudscape before them to nibble the last of the jam sandwiches and looked at the tinge of colour kissing Lillian's freckled cheeks. The picnic remains cast crumbs across the tartan blanket, but there was little left from this rare treat to share with any opportunistic ant straying from the grass. Refuelled by squash and sunshine, Doris watched Lillian skip off to climb a nearby tree. Mother would have disapproved of such a boyish activity, but Lillian never followed the rules. Before laying back on the blanket to survey the clouds again, Doris returned her gaze to the poor wasp slipping down the inside of the bottle, and she tentatively placed the bottle on its side. Keeping a safe distance, she watched as it regained its strength to find its freedom on the summer breeze, flying off into the distant blue. Blue! Blue! she said out loud. Yes, blue tablet now, after lunch. That was the ritual each day. There was some sort of stew, usually, and vegetables that she had forgotten the names of, then a sponge pudding with custard on a good day before the drugs trolley came round. It was probably Tuesday today, a fact that made Doris smile. The weekly timetable on her wall had a picture of a vibrant young face looking back at her. She could not quite get the name from the tip of her tongue but this girl frequently came to sit with her, to share the tea tray and hobnob biscuits and to let her talk without rushing her on to the next part of the day. The girl always came to join Doris on a Tuesday afternoon. Doris thought she should make an effort to look presentable if her guest was coming soon. She picked up her Mason Pearson hairbrush from the dressing table and tried her best to make the wisps of white hair fall into place around the face in the mirror. She was not good with faces anymore and recognised little in the hollowing heart-shaped one that sat before her. Though she knew each wrinkle mapped the life she'd had, Doris dotted them haphazardly with a little powder from her compact before trying unsuccessfully to twist the lid back into place. It took a lot of concentration now to make her fingers move the way she wanted. Arthritis had slowly won the battle there, especially on damp days. Sadness pervaded as her gaze fell onto her thin hands and she moved her fingers slowly up and down, mirroring a silent melody line that they used to play somewhere before. Somewhere where the spotlight shone and glasses clinked in camaraderie. Now she grasped the bar of her walking frame and manoeuvred awkwardly into the corridor and towards the garden room. "'Off we go, girl!' It had taken Doris a while to settle into her new surroundings at Green Meadows, the name rather euphemistically given to the place where the elderly and infirm were put out to pasture. Though the place was clean and comfortable, it was now a shadow of its former self and somewhat like its residents, only had hints about it of its former glory. The fading shades of the swirling carpet dulled the slippered footsteps that now shuffled along its corridors. Dotted about the statutory signage were sepia-toned framed snapshots of local scenes, the odd landscape or still-life painting, and the occasional wall lamp wearing its tasseled hat at a jaunty angle. The high ceilings and ornate cornicing had survived in places, but not everywhere. Some rooms, which would have once commanded a moment of respect for their design and presence, had been brutally sectioned into more functional areas. An office corner, housing for medical and cleaning equipment, staff lockers alongside a basic kitchenette where hastily grabbed coffees or microwave lunches were prepared when the rotor allowed them the breathing space to do so. Doris now knew her way from her room to the communal areas of Green Meadows, well she did most days. Along the corridor, past the few doors to other residents' rooms and into the small lift, she was a little too unsteady to use the stairs now. Some days she managed to eat lunch in the dining room when her joints behaved themselves and her mind felt calm enough to manage the many distractions there. Today she had eaten in her room from a swivelling bed tray whilst looking out of her bedroom window at the cherry blossom branches. That was when she had remembered the need for her Tuesday ritual and why she now found herself in the garden room plumping up a floral cushion before lowering herself into the armchair by the bay window. A couple of her fellow residents dozed off their dinners from their armchairs but Doris was alert. From her vantage point, She knew she could see past the potted ferns to spot the smile and youthful bouncing walk of her visitor. She would wait here a while for her, for she was sure it was Tuesday.
0: Thank you to the amazing Karen Honour for being my special guest on today's show. You can check out all of Karen's work and links to her books on Karen's website, which is karenhonor.com. That's Honour with two N's. Next up, we've got the brilliant Manchester-based poet Janie Barclay. She has written a special empowering Woman's Day poem for us. And that's coming up for you right now. We are different. Shapes.
1: Sizes. Colors. Guises. Someone's auntie. Mother. Sister. Lover. We can feel
2: invisible. Stressed. Invincible. Blessed. Be influential. Inspiring. Confidential, admiring. We
1: could evoke thoughts, our neighbour support. Encourage one another, share success, love her. We should stand together, redefine, be one, be kind. We are woman kind.
0: Big thank you to Janie for writing that poem there, that marvellous poem, We Are Womankind. And I'm sure that there'll be more from Janie on the show real soon. Well, we've come to the end of this International Women's Day special with me, Ruth O'Reilly. Been delighted to keep you company. Thank you, dear listener, for listening. Remember, whether you are a a mother, a grandmother, a daughter, a sister or a friend, whoever you are, wherever you are, you are enough, just as you are. So don't think you've got to change a thing. You are valuable as you are. Till next time, take care of yourself. Bye for now and don't feel guilty for taking care of yourself it's the most
2: important bit
0: <laughs> take care
2: come home in the morning light. Like my mother says when you're gonna live your life right oh mother dear we're not the fortunate ones and girls they wanna have fun oh Girls just want to have fun The phone rings in the middle of the night My father yells What you gonna do with your life? Oh daddy dear, you know you're still number one But girls, they want to have fun Oh. Just want to have fun That's all they really want There's some fun